Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Welcome, everybody. Our guest today is Craig Johnson. Craig is a leadership professional with a diverse background in engineering, manufacturing, and talent development. But here is what makes Craig special. Craig is passionate about bringing attainable, available, applicable, and affordable Lean and Six Sigma training and certification to people all over the world. He founded the Utah Lean Six Sigma Training Center and is now our new director of our Lean Solutions Academy. Welcome to the show, Craig. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. That was a, a flattering introduction. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Well, we're excited to have you. I mean, I, I'm not only welcoming you to the show, but I'm welcoming you to our team, right? You started with us uh, just over a month ago. How has your experience been with the, the Lean Solutions team? Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it, there's, you know, as any onboarding goes with, I think with any professional level or anybody really, um, it's, you know, there's an amount of drinking from the fire hose and, and there's, <laughs> it's been, it's been like that, um, somewhat. And, uh, but you know, there's so much that we have in store and mm. so much in, in the plans. I'm so excited for what we're going to be doing here with, with lean solutions Academy. And the, the, the really cool thing about my experience with the whole lean solutions team is that I have felt so empowered to do my work, mm. you know, in, in other experiences I've had, I always felt like I kind of had to get permission for this or, or, um, run by, you know, run approvals by somebody else before actually doing my work. And I've felt so empowered to just get my stuff done. I've felt trusted and engaged and it's, it's just been super. It is really, really good. I'm, I'm eager for everybody to see what we're putting together. Well, I'm excited for everybody to hear. And obviously, we can't share everything right now on this podcast, but we're on this episode. But we're definitely going to be sharing quite a bit in the next few months about the plans that we have for the Lean Solutions Academy as well as the Lean Solutions community. Um, so I'm excited for all of our listeners uh, to be able to uh, not only understand and know uh, the, the, the benefits that can come from the academy and the community in the future for them, right, but, but also to be engaged and involved in that process as well. So, uh, and again, we can't disclose too much, but, uh, but definitely excited about uh, some, some pretty big announcements that will be coming down the pipeline. Uh, Craig, for those, no, no spoilers. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers here, but we have some cool things coming down the pipeline, folks. Absolutely, Craig. For those that are meeting you for the first time, can you give us just a little bit of uh, your background uh, on your lean experience? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I have a degree in manufacturing engineering, and my whole career, almost my whole career, has been in some form of manufacturing um whether it's been it, i always joke that the uh you know my my engineering emphasis is in plastics and composites so naturally most of my career has been in metals and so i uh i you know started in my uncle's sheet metal shop he, he took pity on a kid that was going nowhere and uh but that was my first introduction into manufacturing and that led me to the short version of the story is to in, uh, my engineering degree and really becoming passionate about engineering i like mm -hmm. i like to make stuff and, and being passionate about manufacturing i should say sure i, I call myself a manufacturing nerd <laughs> and part of that part of that journey was me learning about this thing called lean mm -hmm. and um i was a relatively young engineer at the time and a buddy of mine said, hey, Craig, I'm going to go take this class on lean uh, up at the University of Utah. And you want to come with me? Yeah, sure. And uh, we convinced our, our employer to, to, to pay for it because it cost a small fortune. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but, um, um, and, but I was hooked. I was like, man, this this was really really cool, and mm. and we were able to start implementing it throughout our, our our business, and and so I was naturally 
intrigued and wanted to learn more and so I started developing my own lean library mm-hmm. and reading books uh, like uh, learning to see and um, and uh, the Toyota way mm-hmm. um, some of those those early books that I read and and uh, you know more recently uh, avoiding the continuous appearance trap <laughs> appreciate the, the shameless plug there yeah thank you <laughs> that's right I, I am shameless sometimes <laughs> so but uh, my career took a little diversion once upon a time. Um, I was working as a continuous improvement specialist for one of my mentors. His name is Trip Worthy. And we worked together at a company called Malnove Packaging. Mm. Um, he worked at the headquarters down in Jacksonville, Florida. And I was located in the um, Clearfield, Utah plant. And I was a learning and con- or a continuous improvement specialist. And it was my job to lead all the continuous improvement activities in the Clearfield plant, plus um, overseeing some of the corporate initiatives, the higher level initiatives. And I'd work with colleagues in the other two plants. And uh, Trip called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, Craig, I've been reassigned. I'm not your boss anymore. Um, he was reassigned to develop the the learning and development program for the entire corporation. Okay. And um, and he said, so that's the bad news. The the good news is you want to come join me. Oh, I said, nice. Well, I'd, yeah, I'd I'd follow Trip um, anywhere he asked me to go. And so if he said he had a sweet gig digging ditches, I would have followed him there. Sure. And he was uh, one of those so, leaders. Yeah, yeah, a tremendous human being and, mm. and an amazing professional. Um, so Trip uh, and I de- started developing the, the learning and development program for all of Malnove. We called it Malnove University. And so I spent a few years of my career just immersing myself in professional education and, and instructional design and what it means to be a good educator mm. because um, there are people su- such as ourselves who have long background and professional application of 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 whatever our profession is but that doesn't make them a good educator and it doesn't mean that the curriculum that they're providing is a robust and rigorous um, curriculum and so those two things are separate are separate skill sets right so um, I spent a, a few years of my career you know understanding what those things are and and so um, a few years ago, when when I had the opportunity to kind of survey the the training options here in Utah, I, I just recognized that there was a gap in here, uh, at least out here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll never badmouth any of the training providers out here because they're they're great and, and they do a good job. But my observation was that the training was outrageously expensive. Mm-hmm. It was really pigeonholed into one um one uh kind of level of the or or what's the word i'm looking for the one segment of the lean six sigma body of knowledge Mm -hmm. which was six sigma which is which is fine um it wasn't really readily available throughout the year and it was really only available in one or two places in salt lake city which Mm -hmm. is fine if you're in salt lake city sure and so um, as you said in the introduction, I, I dedicated myself, given my background and my my education background, um, I dedicated myself to creating uh, Lean Six Sigma training that, as you said, was affordable, applicable, attainable, and, and available. I wanted it to be affordable for pretty much any individual or organization. I wanted it to be available throughout the state and throughout the year, attainable in a relatively short amount of time and applicable to whether I wanted a lean biased body of knowledge or a six Sigma body of knowledge or a balanced body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to customize and or maybe not customize is the perfect word, but I wanted to be able to choose the, the education that was going to be applicable to my career and my background and what I needed. Right. So um, that led me to creating Utah Lean Six Sigma Training Center and led me to where we are today mm-hmm. uh, as the director of the Lean Solutions Academy. Well, we're excited to have you, Craig. I mean, I, I'm sure as listeners are, are uh, just hearing you talk, they can feel the passion that you have for training individuals and making sure that the training is applicable to their jobs, that that they are able to take the learnings and actually apply them so that they can realize the benefits for their corporation. And that's really, you know, our, our goal with the, with Lean Solutions Academy. And, and uh, again, we're not going to 
We're not going to talk about the future of the Lean Solutions Academy necessarily, but we are going to talk extensively about what good training looks like and the future of lean training uh, as we see it. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's let's dive into a topic that I think many of our listeners will find interesting. Let's talk uh, for a minute about problem solving. Awesome. What do you think is the benefit for organizations who decide to adopt a problem solving, uh, a structured problem solving methodology? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the opposite of structured problem solving is accidental problem solving, and. Uh, Something I've been pondering a lot recently, actually, is when we don't have purposeful actions, we we get accidental results, mm. right? And um, uh, structured problem solving is just that. It's purposeful um, problem solving. And so I'm getting results that I expect, mm. right? Or I have greater control over the results that I'm going to get. Um, without a structured problem solving process, um, activities are focused on areas that don't have a great impact on an organization. Their activities can be misaligned with the overall KPIs of the organization. Um, you might have improvement activities that um, actually negatively impact adjacent activities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so you know your 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 laser cutter is cranking out work faster than it ever has before congratulations but you are absolutely burying the the press break department mm -hmm. for example you know and so that you're actually degrading the the overall performance of the organization so um it's important to look at our our structure our problem solving process from a strategic perspective mm -hmm. and and part of that is um you know, understanding where the problems are, what we're going to do to face them, and and then and then working through those problems in a structured, logical, sensible way. Right. Absolutely. And w w in my experience, what I've seen is some organizations that don't have a structured, you know, problem-solving process in place. They they think that they don't have time, right, to to uh, spend. The, the right uh, the right time up front defining the problem and actually walking through a structured process. They don't think they have time because they're so busy. So they end up, you know, putting in these short-term fixes or band-aids, right? And, and they think that they've fixed it or maybe they've fixed a symptom but not actually got to the root cause. And what actually ends up happening is those problems come back time and time again or they never actually fix it. So they end up spending more time than they would have uh, and, and wasting more time and causing more downtime than they would have if they would if it rather than just uh, taking the time up front to actually, you know, approach it with a structured process and get to the root cause, get a solution in place and solve the problem at the core so that they never have to deal with it again. What, what's yeah. been your experience? No, you're spot on. Um, I, in, I've always called it. They they're 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 so busy they see a problem and they, before they really even understand what the problem is, they just skip right to the solution. Mm -hmm. And, and because of that, their problem isn't solved because their chances are they probably didn't understand the problem in the first place. Right. They, they didn't go through that critical step of, of defining what the problem is and creating a problem statement and scoping out the project and understand what are all the inputs and outputs and, and suppliers and customers, right. Through that classic SIPOC right. uh, exercise. Um, then they don't go through any root cause analysis. They they just act on their on their um, um, their the, the causes that they think. They, you know, like oh, I've seen this before. I know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. the, just go just go do this, fix this, and because of that, they get superficial fixes to systemic problems, and so all they ever do is put out one little tiny fire or or an old boss of mine used to call it whack-a-mole all they do is <laughs> they just knock down one of the moles meanwhile five more pop up right yeah yeah I've, I've seen that too often as well um it in your experience do you have any examples maybe of um organizations that have that do have a structured problem solving process in place and maybe w what you've seen with those teams and how they've been able to um, approach those problems differently than uh, an organization that maybe doesn't have one in place. Do you have any specific examples of that? 
yeah and and um so i i may or may not use the names of the organizations if, if that's oh, sure. all right absolutely i, I don't want to embarrass anybody <laughs> <laughs> but um you know early on in my career one of the things that i i really love and i i find very important is root cause analysis um and uh, the whole it in the aerospace world and 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 probably in other um industries they have this whole kappa process corrective action preventive action process and um, I learned a lot from working with some of those aerospace primes early in my career from from working with Boeing and Lockheed and Northrop and kind of they, they helped mold what I think is an ideal root cause analysis, corrective and preventive action uh, process. And so um, it, it's rigorous and it's methodical but it gets it done. And so um, I think those, those companies are successful for a reason. And, uh, and so when, I, when I'm able to, or when I've in my career have been required to go through that process or lead that kind of a process, I use what I learned, um, not only from my own studies, but from what I experienced from Boeing and Northrop and Lockheed and, and uh, used kind of what I found were best practices from all three of those. Um, so I've also seen organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, that were not entirely good at it, but they recognized that. And so that's that's the whole reason I was involved. And so whether I was a, um, a full-time employee, um, I've served as the director of quality and continuous improvement for an organization in the past. And it was my job to develop those, those, those systems. And so, um, those those organizations would would often put in place quick fixes to problems that they faced but really it, one of two things happened number one they would they would fix a problem for a uh, and it was a good robust um uh, uh, a solution but the, um you know and then it wouldn't last it was short-lived because they had no control measures in place or sustainment measures in place. You know, the other, the other alternative is, as we talked about previously, that it would, the, the solution wouldn't actually solve the problem. They would just see it actually recur over and over. Right. So, um, but yeah, I've seen it. I've seen both versions of it. And, and part of the reason that I do what I do is I want people to have the good version of that right. and yeah. um, help people see. Cause a lot of, a lot of times, Patrick, people, just don't see that there's an issue with their problem solving process mm -hmm. right they 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 just think um that you know these issues pop up and i put them to bed and they wear their busyness as a a not their business but their busyness mm -hmm. as a, as a badge of honor mm -hmm. right man i you know i've been so busy today i've had to put out fires all day I, you know i put in 65 hours at work this week man i'm so important at work mm. and and that last bit that last bit i'm so important at work is absolutely spot on mm -hmm. people are really important at work that first bit of it about being really really busy and putting out fires and you're bragging about the wrong things mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> let's let's remove let's remove that pain and so when we when we can stop and we can prevent uh, leaders and, and, and employees and people from constantly putting out their fires, we can pay them and, and, and allow them to do the things that we hired them to do. We, we don't hire firefighters unless you're an actual firefighting department in some municipality and you're hiring legitimate actual firefighting professionals, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not hiring firefighters. I'm not, I'm not hiring searchers for documents. I'm not hiring fixers of machines that broke down, you know, uh, before they were, because I didn't maintain them. I'm not hiring, um, you know, expediters of, of lost uh, raw material. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hiring laser cutting operators. I'm I'm hiring welders. I'm hiring accounting professionals, not not professional searchers. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Great points, uh, Craig. What would you say? Uh, you mentioned some uh, problem-solving tools as you, as we were kind of talking through that a little bit. But what would you say are your go-to problem-solving tools? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the uh, my my favorite 
there's there's a few. I think uh, number one, go to Gemba, right? Mm. Go and see um, it, it, that that great quote um, from uh, Fujio Cho. It was uh, go see, ask why, show respect. Yeah, right. I love that. I absolutely love that. In fact, I love it so much it's on my luggage tag. <laughs> so the wow. uh, the um, there's a, a LinkedIn connection that I have. His name is Brian Hurley. Hmm. Awesome, awesome guy. He's really yeah. involved in um, lean from a sustainability uh, perspective um, yeah. uh, and ecological green initiatives and things like that. I've actually and, had Brian uh, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, really good yeah. dude. And uh, he. Uh, one day he was asking on LinkedIn, you know, Hey, we're producing all these luggage tags with go see, ask why show respect on them. If you want one, you know, PM me. So I got on there immediately. So I have one of those on my luggage. Tag. Nice. So, but, um, it's the, the reason I love about, I love going to Gemba is, is because you go, I mean, obviously you go out there and you see what's actually going on in the process. But my favorite part of that is you're you're creating relationships and developing mm. relationships with the people who are actually doing the work, and um, and and when you do that, it creates this collaborative environment where we can uh, with with process experts because I don't I don't know all the details of how to run these different machines. I don't know anything about accounting, you know? And so when I go and engage with these, these folks out in their area of expertise, then we can really start solving problems that, and that's a big deal. Um, I love process mapping. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's just so simple and effective and so visual and, and, and it's fun to do. I don't, I might, maybe I'm weird in that, but I, I enjoy process mapping. I love the those aha moments that come from just mapping out a process i don't i don't think i've ever been in a in a process mapping exercise with a with a group of people and there wasn't that aha moment mm-hmm. or that or that realization that our process doesn't work like we think it does mm-hmm. you know and whether that's um person one saying i do this i do this i do this and then i hand it off to person two and they do this 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 and person two goes no i don't (laughs) (laughs) i don't do that so and so does that or i ask person number two okay so what what um is the trigger for you to start doing that work i don't know usually just somebody tells me what happens if somebody doesn't tell you i don't know you know eventually somebody will come looking for it. You know, it's like, wow, we have these opportunities to build in triggers into our system, right. you know? And, and so I really, really love process mapping and, and, uh, um, but with, with any tool that I use, um, if I ever, if I ever write my own book, maybe we can work on this together, Patrick, I'm going to call it, it I'm going to call it pragmatic lean. All right. And so, because I'm really an advocate for using the tools uh, associated with lean and six sigma in ways that are are applicable to your business mm-hmm. and, and so for example um in, in just about every piece of literature i've ever read about process mapping it says um and accurately so that a decision point is a diamond right mm-hmm. and i always make the joke when i'm teaching a, a process mapping class and tell them that you know they they buy the square post-it notes for their for their operation steps Mm -hmm. but i'm willing to sell them the diamond ones (laughs) (laughs) they just have to go to my website and i'll sell them the diamond notes anyway the uh the the every piece of literature or training i've ever been in accurately says a decision point is a diamond right Mm -hmm. and that's correct and the part that i this is a little bit of the 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 you know lean gospel according to craig but uh that um i've read that a decision point has to be a yes no question and the only two exits out of that decision point are yes no and i kind of disagree with that mm. <laughs> so um again recognizing that i'm not an expert and yeah. well, i'm not the authority i should say I, i'm uncomfortable with calling myself an expert but uh um th- there are probably aspects of it that i'm not familiar with or something but i've had experiences in my past where i'm creating a process map uh, for example, it's a, a non-conforming product process mm-hmm. that I created. And, you know, the, the first step was, you know, like a defect occurs or something like that. So 
the the decision point is what are we going to do with it rework re uh remake or use as is mm-hmm. those aren't yes no questions and there's three options right and 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 that process matt branched out into three different uh branches and it was great it worked great so anyway um so yeah um right off the top of my head go to gemba always 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 go to gemba um i love process mapping um and and uh and then just be pragmatic um mm-hmm. with with the tools so yeah. Great advice and, and two very powerful problem solving tools. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Craig, let's let's transition uh, back into training. Uh, awesome. I know this is a huge passion of yours. Um, what, what in you know, in, in your experience, uh, in your as you think about the future of, of lean training, why, why do you think that people should pursue lean Six Sigma uh, process improvement training of any sort. Why? Why is it important for people to pursue that training? Yeah, great question. The, uh, um, you know, ideally we would all have professional mentors that we can work with on a full time basis, and we learn those things as we're applying them, right? Um, and what a world it would be. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we don't. Uh, when I started my Lean Six Sigma education, that wasn't an option. Uh, my only option was a a class because nobody in my organization knew anything about lean except this other colleague that I mentioned earlier. And he only knew that he didn't know anything about it and heard it might be cool. And so, but, uh, so applied education and, and from a, from a knowledgeable source is, is super important. And, and why? Because I don't have to learn it or figure it out for myself. You know, um, it's an interesting um, observation that I've had recently that younger generations right now really subscribe to the notion of YouTube University, mm-hmm. right? And and there's there's a it, and rightfully rightfully so there's there's so much available on there, I, you know. Um, but uh, the when I, when I use um, articles, uh, books, uh, um, YouTube videos as the basis of my knowledge on any topic, I'm really only getting pieces and bites uh, of, an, of a much larger, broader subject matter. And nothing typically is tying those all those things together. Mm-hmm. And so I found, again, related to what we talked about a little bit earlier today was, you know, I might go and take a... Uh, uh, a value stream mapping class, right? Or you watch a, a value stream mapping YouTube video or something like that. And so I know a little bit about value stream mapping, but I don't know enough to do it right. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know enough to do it right because I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what the what the search term was to put into YouTube or Google in order to make me know the things that I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... Um, and, and even on top of that, learning tools is easy. Um, I can go and there, I, I guarantee there, there are videos out on YouTube and, and articles to read about process mapping or SIPOC charts or, um, you know, DOE and things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, what's, we mentioned this earlier, but learning to have a strategic perspective, um, doesn't easily come from those sources. Um, and if we if we don't have that focus on the on the overall strategy of our organizations, again, we have the opportunity to do some real damage to individual um, activities and, and therefore the overall organization. Um, so, um, you know, and one of the things that I think about a lot is um, the the articles that you might read and the the um, YouTube videos that you might watch are, are really good at teaching those individual tools. And they will oftentimes what I've seen is they'll describe lean as a business strategy. And, um, and, and I think obviously there's a lot of business um, uh, reasons to implement lean. And, but I, I kind of, I've really been pondering this lately and I believe that lean is a people strategy Mm -hmm. and, 
Um, and when we when we're working together in a collaborative way with our colleagues and 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 we're doing that do, doing our work in order to provide value to our customers and support our communities, I think the the dollar signs will follow as a, as a as a result of that. And so you, I just I think you don't get that that message from too many places. Mm -hmm. They they it's all about meeting the bottom line and 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 earning more money and making the company more profitable and um, and that's not to say that that message isn't out there. Mm -hmm. You know there you know uh, uh, Jeffrey Liker is a really big proponent of of that type of a message, uh, for one example. Um, but it's not it's not common, and I think that message needs to be common. Mm -hmm. So, but when you attend a a um, a structured and uh, lean and Six Sigma training, you get that message from from a good from a good instructor and a good educator. You're going to get that message. Right. Yeah. And, and when you talk about a good uh, instructor, a good trainer, you know we're very careful uh, about choosing our trainers. Uh, because we we know that it takes a certain type of person to be to understand adult education and how people learn and you know that's one piece of it but I also would not want someone teaching me that has zero experience either so it has to be a good combination of someone that has the experience that can bring good examples to the training of actual case studies or actual experiences that they've had where they've tried something and failed and what did they learn and how did they reflect and what did you know having those conversations within the training uh, is so powerful and, and you have to be careful because there's a lot of training out there where you know you it's you you go out and buy a, a pre-recorded video and and it's a you know animated someone talking through something but there's never the real experiences or the discussions or the questions or the conversations that happen when you're talking with you know an, an experienced lean or six sigma trainer like yourself who can bring those powerful experiences to the table and, and have some you know conversations that weren't weren't part of the tr part of the uh training or weren't planned for it but you know, and I think that for me, I know that makes for a, a really good training. Now, nothing against the pre-recorded uh, e-learning type because we also offer that too. But it's a yeah. complement to yeah, they have their place. Absolutely, absolutely, it's a complement to some of the other training. And I know we're gonna. I want to kind of transition to talk a little bit about what good training looks like, but um, sure. you know, complementing that training experience with coaching you know, is also mm -hmm. important to us at, at Lean Solutions. Um, but so, so let's actually, let's make that transition. What, what would yeah. you say does make for good training? What does good training look like? Yeah, good being that, that super relative word, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, this conversation, it makes me think of my little brother, who is an exceptionally talented flight instructor. And um, so in, in my, my family is an airplane family and I've grown up air, around airplanes my whole life. Um, everybody in my family is a pilot pretty much, except for me, I'm the black sheep. I became the engineer. <laughs> and, uh, the, but my, my little brother is an exceptional flight instructor. He is in extremely high demand. And one of those reasons is because he has so many stories to tell from a lifetime of experiences. You know, and if he, he's sitting in a, a cockpit with one of his instructors and and he tells them, you know, make sure you're you're buckled in your lap belt, your shoulder harness, make sure you're completely um, tied in. Why? 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 We're just going up for a simple little flight. My brother can tell him about a time that he was inverted in an airplane and his lap belt wasn't secured tightly. Mm. <laughs> you know, that that's not a pleasant situation. <laughs> and uh, in the aviation community, we like to say when things go bad like that oftentimes you fall for the rest of your life mm. and you don't want that to happen now fortunately in lean six sigma we don't have those dire consequences often mm -hmm. um and uh and 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 thank goodness for that but um there's uh uh so what does good training look like i think world-class educators they need to bring their a game so um i'm kind of a naturally a high energy person Right. But um, when when I'm 
when I'm training, when I'm, when I'm instructing or educating, I'm performing. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, I, I don't consider it any different than an actor on stage or a dancer or whatever. And because I need to bring the energy and I need to be good and kind of entertaining in what I do. So um, my wife used to always tease me. I would come home after a day of training and I'd be wiped out, man. I'd yeah. be exhausted. And it's because I've been on my A game for a solid day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is. So good training, it looks like an educator, as you said, is knowledgeable and experienced and is energetic and just brings their A game. But I think um, in general, you want an education to be flexible, um, to offer those multiple styles of learning, as you mentioned, right. so that people can go through a classroom environment and learn some of the concepts. But then there's uh, coaching that follows it up so I can apply the things that I've learned. And I'm not doing it without any guidance so that un, you know unintentional consequences occur. But I've got that experienced person kind of guiding me and making sure I don't run the, the ship into the shore. Um, and then, um, but also then maybe down the road, have those e-learnings or those video lessons where I can go and, and just brush up on one concept that, you know, here or there that I need to. Um, uh, I think, uh, as I said earlier, I, I think um, it should be affordable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a nebulous term in itself, a relative term in itself. But um, it, it gets real expensive real fast for organizations to train 20 people. Mm -hmm. you know and so um it, it's up to folks like you and me patrick to do what we can to make it affordable you know every business is in the business of making money at the end of the day mm -hmm. um we do so by serving people but we have to make money but um we don't need to make outrageous sums of money and, and make the training unaffordable for organizations and and plus you know we have resources and partnerships that that we can put to to use to make it affordable for, right. for for individuals and organizations so um i think good training needs to follow a rigorous instructional design concepts and 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 methods and so from the instructional design world that means um uh you know using concepts such as Bloom's taxonomy to understand what are the cognitive levels that I want my students to to be able to take away from this particular training on any given subject. I think my instructional design needs to go through the ADDI process. So in Lean Six Sigma, we have DMAIC, right? Define, measure, analyze, improve, control. In the instructional design world, we have ADDI, analyze, design, develop, implement, and evaluate, right? Sounds really familiar, right? Um, but also using uh, the Kirkpatrick's models of evaluation to understand, are my students enjoying class? Are they learning something? Are they able to apply what they're learning? And, and are they actually moving the needle of the organization? Um, and then, um, you know, as I, I guess uh, I've already mentioned, you know, having that post-classroom support um, mm -hmm. is super, super important. Um, and whether it's just as, hey, I'm an educator, I'm available to you, please call, text, email if you have any questions, or it's actually on-site coaching to guide you through your application. You know, you, you just can't beat that, that kind of mentoring that um, comes with a, a, a robust and rigorous training provider. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you, Craig. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that I would say sets us apart and for anyone that's listening to think about as you're choosing your training provider or developing your own internal training program that you are coupling every single course or every training opportunity with coaching. Um, and I've been involved with too many organizations where you know you you get to send an email with a link and you're supposed to watch this video and you know people just fast forward through it to the end take their their uh you know five question take uh, the completely common email. sense questionnaire right and exactly <laughs> and and then pass it and move on to, to their next and it's like you know that's the complete wrong mentality and i don't think people are doing it intentionally they just they're busy or whatever it might be yeah but the point of that is to take something away that you can actually apply to your job that's going to make your job easier and it's going to have uh, a, a positive impact on the the overall company 
you know, metrics or, or the direction of the company or whatever it may be. Um, and so if that's really the, the goal, then we need to take our training seriously and understanding totally. that when I, if I sit in a classroom or if I, you know, do watch an, an e-learning video of some sort, um, or I'm on a, a, an online training, you know, everybody's in a different place when they're sitting in the, in this participant seat or the learner seat and they're, they're hearing different things than what the, the person next to them is hearing or taking, you know, depending on again, where they're at, uh, you know, it, it, that day. Um, so to follow that up with a coach who's meeting with that person one-on-one -on -one and having conversations about, you know, what their takeaways were, how they can apply them to their job because their job's different than the person sitting next to them too. So how can you apply, you know, these three things or these five things that you took away, how can you apply those to the work that you do? Because that's going to be different than the person next to them. So those one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunities are so key to follow up and complement the training itself. So that was one thing that you mentioned that was super important. So I just wanted to uh, reiterate that. Um, and then this, the second thing that you mentioned was the affordability of training and, you know, that if you are seeking out a training provider or looking to develop your own training internally, looking for opportunities to reduce cost for the organization because the training is necessary. It's not one of those things that's an option. It, it must be right. necessary to develop the skill sets. You have to develop your people to keep, yep. to keep them at your organization and to develop the you know, future uh, capabilities of your organization. It's a necessity. Yeah. So looking, uh, asking your, your training provider if they provide any type of workforce development grants or looking at your state to see if your state offers uh, any workforce development grants is definitely an important piece. Uh, and we do that, you know, uh, we work with our clients to make sure that they, you know, are able to afford the training, whether we're connecting them with a, a partner like here in Michigan, we have the uh, West Michigan Works, which uh, uh, helps to uh, connect people with those workforce grants and different things. So um, mm -hmm. any, anything on those kind of those two topics? Yeah, you know, I, I always love the the old uh, proverb of the, the CEO and the CFO talking one day, and they're going over all the, the the financials of the organization at the end of the year, and the CFO holds up a report to the the CEO and says, "Holy smokes, look at look at how much money we spent on training our staff this year. Um, what?" You know, this is a huge risk. What happens if we spend all this money training them and they leave us and go to our competitors? And the CEO simply says, what if we don't spend that money training them and they stay? <laughs> you know, so, right. And so and then um, training is it is necessary. It's not it's not what we do to, you know, because our, our employees want it and and because some HR person said we need to do it. It, we do it because it creates a competitive advantage over us mm -hmm. uh, or, or over our, our competitors sure. or for us over our competitors. And, and so not only in capability, am I a better producer of whatever widget I produce, but I also have a competitive advantage in these days and today's market. I can't just go out and hire somebody mm -hmm. to do the things that I want them to do. But if, if I'm, a training a workforce then typically i am also retaining that workforce and and that is a massive competitive advantage right now absolutely great points great points craig what do you think uh as we think about the future you know with everything that's happened over these past few years i mean there's been a ton of changes you know technology is ch is changing the supply chain is changing. I mean, companies are changing. There's so much that has happened uh, with remote work and in office work and, and you know, just you, the, there's so many things we could talk about. But what do you think for the future of lean training? What does that look like hmm. in, in your experience? Yeah, the it is interesting. I, I, I was talking with someone the other day and was explaining how I, I'm really interested here in about 20 years to to have the perspective on on a business and the economy and on the culture mm -hmm. from as a result of COVID, right? Because it was it 
illnesses and vaccines, all that stuff aside, we've seen a massive shift in the way we live and the way we do business. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that'll be really interesting to see how um, what that looks like. But um, as you mentioned, we we already have seen a massive shift where people are simply more comfortable working in a virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will still at this point say it's not the ideal um, thing to um, you know, be having long meetings over Zoom and, and such, but it's a perfectly viable solution. And I love the the concept of hybrid working where I come into the office if I need to come into the office. Otherwise, hey, you guys can reach me on Zoom. And and now instead of wasting um the the time of the of my colleagues my peers my you know my coworkers by requiring them to make an hour long commute into the office for no other reason than i like them to be there mm-hmm. um you know i'm allowing them to you know be more engaged in in their work at home and be more engaged in their home while they're at work mm-hmm. and so um so we're seeing already we're we're already transitioning into a very comfortable virtual world mm-hmm. um i think the 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 generation that's about the age of our kids um is is exceptionally comfortable working in that world mm-hmm. um but i think we're also we're going to see a transition into augmented and virtual reality as a means for meeting and a means for training mm-hmm. uh, uh tooling you which is a division of society of manufacturing engineers is already using using a virtual and augmented reality for manufacturing training. I think that's super, super cool. Um, and uh, I'm going to purposefully be really, really concise because this is like a two hour long podcast topic on its own. <laughs> but I think the, fir- the, the, the future of Lean Six Sigma training um, is a, a certification structure that makes sense, mm. right? And, uh, and so aligned with c- competencies um, mm. instead of, um terminology that doesn't really make sense or mean anything so right. that's it that's all i'm saying about that and i'm it's yes. my story and they can do it <laughs> well the listeners will hear more in the future about that yes yeah no we we definitely uh appreciate the the good training that actually makes sense for an organization and you know and just to expand on that uh a minute the you know what you said about um you know people making that one hour commute um, I heard this term uh, actually a few weeks ago, and I thought it was really, really good. They said we should be managing for performance, not for presence. And I thought oh, that was really yeah. interesting. So, you know, for those that are that are thinking, you know, how, how's this going to work going forward? Um, what is what are your expectations of your employees if they're meeting the expectations? Mm-hmm. Then why does it matter where? they're working from or how they're working. Now, obviously there are some jobs that you have to be uh, uh, present for, be, you know, yeah. that's part of the, the role. But if, if presence is the machine from home, right, yeah. right. <laughs> but if presence in a, in an office seat, isn't something that is affecting their performance, then, you know, measure them to performance. So give them goals. And, and if they're meeting their goals, um, like you said, you're going to, you're going to reduce a whole lot of waste and inefficiencies uh, going that route. Yeah. Um, I think that's uh, just another illustration of respect for people. Sure. Right? Um, it, far too often we we view workers as as resources, right? As if I was ordering a sheet of metal, and I don't care that it takes the metal, you know, a hundred miles and six hours to get to me. I just I just want it to get to me, mm-hmm. and. Um, when we treat people like machines, they tend to treat us like that too. So if we really want to engage people, we engage them where they are. And so I have friends who work from home and they absolutely love it. They've been the more, more productive than they've been in years and more satisfied than they've sure. been in years. Sure. I have friends who have that option, but they really love going into the office. Yeah. And great great do that do what works for you yeah i i was let me share a little bit of a personal story if i may i know i've already talked for like an hour and a half already (laughs) (laughs) but uh 
um, once, once upon a time, I was driving out to the national championship air races with my cousin and, uh, and we were driving along and, uh, my cousin is six months younger than me. His name is Al and, uh, Al, I don't know if you'll ever even hear this, uh, this, this podcast. Um, but, um, so the, Al is six months younger than me and he has an older brother who is six months younger than my older brother. And so we were kind of the four musketeers growing up, you know, <laughs> and uh, my older brother and Al's older brother and I all grew up, went to college, got married, yada, 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 all the traditional definitions of success. Right. And, and Al um, lives in his dad's basement and works uh, chucking boxes. That's his term, not mine for FedEx and um, and uh, plays video games when he's not at work. And so for years and years, man, we we tried to get out. Al, you need to, you know, you need to go out on some dates. You need to go maybe get some professional education or some some college or whatever. And uh, I had this opportunity to drive out to the races with Al, and and it's about a six-hour drive from where we live. And during that drive, I learned something really, really important. And my cousin Al taught me one of the most important life lessons I've ever learned. And the thing that I learned was Al is happy. Al is happy. And he didn't have my definition of happiness, Mm -hmm. but Al was happy. And so it completely changed my perspective, not only of Al, who I love dearly, always have and always will, um, but it changed my perspective of how I view people in general. And I try to never inflict my version of happiness on other people now. Sure. And so, again, if you're happy working from home and that works for you, it meets the needs of the organization, right? We can't just forget that. Oh, yeah. Then great. But if you want to come into work because that makes you happy and it meets the needs of the organization, then great. Absolutely. No, that's a great story, Craig. Uh, and, and, and I love what you said there at the end because there, there definitely has to be a balance because you are, it, you're developing a certain culture. And if people are working solo all the time, then you may lose some of what you're trying to develop. How, however, right. you know, I've seen many companies that are working remote that have, have been very intentional to, cre- to still maintain that culture in different, they get creative about how they do it, you know, remote wise and, or in the office. And so, you know, um, definitely something you have to consider. Uh, if, yeah. if, if you're, if you have a hybrid or a remote work environment, you still have to maintain that, that culture, um, that inclusive culture and that, that engagement as a, as a team. So you have to get creative about how to make that happen, you know, given the changes that, that, you know, have happened. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Craig, this has been great. Uh, lots of, lots of good conversation. We could obviously talk all day. Um, I'm, I'm going to drop in the show notes. If you're okay, I'm going to drop in, you know, maybe a link to our Academy page so people can learn a little bit more about the lean solutions Academy. Um, also drop your LinkedIn, uh, a link to your LinkedIn page. So if people want to reach out, they can uh, connect with you there. Uh, I want to be friends with everyone. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if anybody is interested to learn more about what Craig is doing with the Lean Solutions Academy and and just what any offerings or, or, you know, anything that's available for your organization, absolutely feel free to reach out to him um, and uh, on LinkedIn or uh, I'll throw your email in there as well. I'm I'm just gonna throw everything in there. <laughs> if you're all right with yeah. that, yeah. You know, it's it's funny, in, in the, especially in the LinkedIn world, I one of the things that drives me really bonkers about LinkedIn is you go and look at somebody's profile, and then they get the stalker notification. Mm. You know, that's what I call it. So and so looked at your profile. <laughs> oh, I hate that. So I just want to put the disclaimer out there right now, folks. If you're listening to this and you need to go check out my profile, go do it. You're not going to weird me out. I'm not going to think that you're being, you know, stalkerish or whatever. And so, um, and legitimately, send me a connection request. I'd I'd love to connect with anybody who's listening because your perspective is going to make me a better person. All right. Thanks, Craig. Have an amazing week. Thanks. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.